This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's the worst up the right sideline. Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football, a show that doesn't think anybody in the state deserves a bit this week because they all lost and <laughs> looked unimpressive. Just kidding. Uh, Texas won, AM won. Um, but it also helped that Texas played another Texas school. So a lot outside of that, there's not much to be impressed with this week, but there's one team in particular, one team <clears throat> that defied the odds and literally completely shocked me when I was checking my phone and was not keeping up with this game until I saw the final score. So we're starting with them right off the top. Rice, hoot, 33, hoot. Louisiana, 21 shutting down the longest win streak in the country holy crap mike craven um who's also here i didn't do introductions this is a weird day we're just going right into it uh mallory hartley is also here by the way but we're gonna talk rice mike craven rice 33 21 over louisiana what the hell happened (laughs) yeah impressive performance by the offense and defense you know they won the turnover or the turnover battle they won the uh, time of possession you know 41 minutes 43 seconds right so louisiana rarely had the ball rice defense only allowed nine first downs only allowed 61 rushing yards Uh, quarterback went 13 of 28 uh, with one interception louisiana only had 175 total yards at all offensively right so just a complete domination from rice won the offense won the defense luke mccaffrey uh, with his coming out party at wide receiver, 10 catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns. TJ McMahon threw three interceptions, you know, True. early on in the game, had three interceptions uh, pretty early on the game, but rebounded. He was 25 of 36, 303 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. And that's kind of what the, the book was on McMahon going into the year, that he had more arm talent than Wiley Green, but he was prone to throw the ball away a few times. It was impressive for Rice to, to turn the ball over three times in that fashion and still win in pretty dominating ways, you know, like they, they really dominated Louisiana. You look at that box score and you can just tell that they had the ball the whole time. The defense did what it was supposed to do and a good win for, for, for rice. We kind of assume that they're going to be one in three in non-conference play every single year, just the way it's set up. They were able to, to beat this Louisiana team. That's without Billy Napier kind of going through a rebuild without their head coach. So got them at the right moment. And then to look ahead for a second, you know, they play Houston next week and the Cougars are struggling. We're going to talk about that later. So uh, with Conference USA being down, with Rice getting at least two out-of-conference wins, you know, a bowl game's right there for this Owls team if they can keep the momentum going. I was going to say, like, that. <clears throat> that's kind of what I want to hint at is not necessarily the fact that they won this game, but what it says about our expectations now of rice because this is a louisiana program like you mentioned under a first-year head coach after billy napier took the florida job but it didn't it almost didn't i don't say it didn't matter billy napier's a great coach right and so losing him obviously hurts but there's still a program that before billy napier has been one of the top group of five programs of the past decade basically and for them to face a rice team and let me let me pull up the stats rice ran 85 plays against them to 48 right almost doubled them up that is ball control right that's not and the other thing was they're starting rice is starting to get away from the quote-unquote intellectual brutality thing i think they're kind of realizing that that's not a brand of football you can really kind of do now um even with the even with bloomgren's stanford bona fides i think stanford's even kind of getting away from that too they're they're definitely opening up the offense a lot more and the biggest thing, you mentioned it, Luke McCaffrey. They needed somebody to replace Jake Bailey after he went to uh, SMU. And they needed that. If you wanted to show off uh, McMahon's arm talent, you needed somebody to be the target, uh, the recipient of that. And I believe he finished 10 catches for 100. Uh, where is it right here? 10 catches for 105 yards, two touchdowns. That's what you need. You need somebody who's like, if things are if things are down, chips are down. Okay, we need where's the playmaker, right? And there's a reason why he was a 
four or five star recruit at quarterback. He was an athletic, you know, he was built as a dual threat coming out of high school. There's a reason why he was all over the country as far as like power five before he ended up at Rice. Obviously, we thought he would be a quarterback, but he's an athlete, man. He literally has it in his blood to be a good wide receiver. So um, it, it, it's, I don't know. I think this is a great, you mentioned it. The Obviously, you don't want the turnovers from TJ McMahon, but only seven completions. I thought he managed the game decently when you're up against a team that probably is physically more talented than you, right? You need to be able to take some risks. You need to be able to be more aggressive. And the fact that they were confident enough to test that defense and to make plays on the other end as well, right? Louisiana was not comfortable in this game at all. Um, they, I know they, I don't know if they, their quarterback got hurt or whatever, but I know they played two quarterbacks and uh, that might've flustered them a little bit. But like you mentioned, Conference USA is down this year. Houston looks weird. You know, I'm not going to say they're going to, I'm not ready to say they're going to beat Houston next week, but still like this is the type of win that like justifies a lot of what Bloomgren's been selling to these players where it's like, Hey, look, we just did this, right? Like whatever about next week, get through next week. You may surprise some people next week too. Who knows? But Conference USA, anything can happen. Louisiana, if you drop Louisiana in Conference USA, they could win Conference USA. So you just beat a team that could absolutely compete for your own conference. So I think this is a huge win, uh, incredibly much needed win for Bloomgren too, because we were like, Rice, what's going on there? And they just came out and surprised everybody. I also think it's crazy that Rice was plus 12 going into this game. Like going back to that, I think that's crazy. Yeah. And like just seeing that how much Vegas overestimated the talent that Louisiana had and just how they're rebuilding and stuff without Napier going sure. to Florida. But yeah, I think it's crazy. This is a transfer portal win for rice mm. right like this this illustrates how much things can change in the transfer portal era louisiana mm. lost a lot of their experienced upperclassmen when when napier left either following them to florida mm. or yeah. going into other programs right like amani bailey for example is at tcu for example mm -hmm. um and so you know and rice added players to their to their team through the transfer portal through recruiting and they didn't have a mass exodus and so you know you put helmet next to helmet you think louisiana over the last 5 10 15 years going to roll rice. And I, I think when you get to the G5 level, a lot of gambling is based off of that. You know, we got to remember that they're, they're not predictions. They're just a way to get 50% of the money on one side, 50% of the money on the other side. And most people think rice is kind of a basement dweller and that Louisiana is a top tier G5 program for at least 2022, Louisiana is down and rice was able to take advantage of that. Yep. I should mention it was a 15 game win streak going back to last season for Louisiana that rice snapped on Saturday. All right, moving on to the game that you were at this weekend, Mike Craven. The reason Until why we all five a.m. in the morning. I was about to say the reason why <laughs> we're all lacking energy, but especially you. A uh, and M seventeen, Miami nine. You were there in College Station. You drove back to Austin because A and M decides to hike up their <laughs> hotel prices during football season. Um, so, Mike Craven, you got back home at three a.m. After all the madness, I, first of all, I do want to say, I called this being, I don't want to say a boring game, but a very bad game. Like it was two teams that were just not fun to watch, but it was it, a lot of narratives going in and a win that Jimbo Fisher and AM definitely needed. Yeah, I, I was very sad that the SMU Maryland game ended on my computer at one point because it was more entertaining <laughs> than the game that was going on behind me. Uh, it was bad. You know, AM's top five tacklers were defensive backs. AM only had 16 touchdowns. Max Johnson was 10 of 20 for 149 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown going to a running back. Devon A. Chain, their running back, had 130 yards of total offense. The team overall had 288. It wasn't a good win. It wasn't a pretty win, I should say. But it was an important win. Texas AM had to have that game. Hats off to the wrecking crew defense. Hats off to Devon A. Chain. That offensive line still really looked really bad. Max Johnson still looked really bad. I have no idea who their number one receiver is on the outside, outside of Anaya Smith in the slot. If, if Evan Stewart is suspended for multiple games, that offense is going to continue to look like this. Even if he's back, it might still look like this. It's going to be one of those – they found the recipe last night. They're going to have to run the football. Hopefully, Devon A-Chain makes a play or two either in special teams or out, out in the flat. Uh, and then they're going to have to play really good defense and kick field goals. And so – that's not an exciting brand of football, but it's going to be what Texas A&M is until they fix the quarterback position, until they fix the play calling position with the schedule that's coming down the pipe. Mm -hmm. A&M is not back at Kyle Field for over a month because they play in Arlington against Arkansas, which is technically a home game uh, for that neutral site game next week. 
Then they're at Mississippi State, at Alabama, at South Carolina before they get back home. Had they lost to Miami, they were literally, they were really looking at like a two and five, three and four type start to the season where the wheels fall off and the noise gets so loud around Jimbo Fisher. Last night, there was 107,000 people in Kyle Field. They're still jacked up about football season. And they saw a win against a nationally ranked team. Say whatever we want to say about Miami. They haven't played anybody. We have no idea if they're going to be any good or not. They could finish this year four and eight or five and seven. And we look back on this and it's not a very big win. But for that locker room, for, for a team that looked like it was splintering, you got four of your young stars suspended. You know, one guy's driving through like a parking garage at 100 miles per hour. Anaya Smith at a press conference is openly saying the young guys aren't buying in. You're already changing your quarterbacks. Like there's so much going around College Station that they had to have that win. There's something to be said about winning ugly. Good teams find a way to win. Texas A&M found a way to win. And at least for one week, the pressure kind of builds off of Jimbo as they go into an Arkansas game. And again, if they lose to Arkansas next week, it just ratchets backs up. That's that's kind of the price you pay when you make $10 million in big-time college football. But it was an important win for Texas A&M to somehow salvage or save this season. And maybe we look back at the App State game down the road and go, okay, that was just a blip in the road. Uh, because right now they were able to kind of overcome it and find a new way to win. Yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned a little bit, you hinted at it. Um, and then without Evan Stewart, Chris Marshall, Smoke Bowie and Denver Harris, uh, I believe they were all violations of curfew team rules basically is what came out. Um, yeah. I, I, I snuck out last night or snuck out right. Friday night apparently and went to a party. basically. And you know, People are going to make fun of that. I got to give credit to Jimbo Fisher because like you mentioned, this is a huge game for them. And he still said, nah, we're, you know, like it, it could have easily been like a sweep that under the rug, you know, Hey, we need this game, but he was very credit to him. Right. Cause that's, these are the kind of moments and this is the kind of weeks where you need that kind of like culture and discipline to like take precedent. And if it felt like he was losing control a bit, it, those are the type of stories that kind of leak out. And it's like, Oh, you know, he, they were partying and they played and blah, blah, blah. Cause that, you know, it's a college town where it gets out. Um, so he earned his him, paycheck this week. He oh, earned yeah, his paycheck. 1, per, yes, with the 1, outside 000. noise, with the inside dilemmas and drama and all that kind of stuff, he absolutely proved why he is like a national championship coach who's in that upper tier this week. Yep. And I will say, like, that news dropped the day of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like in earlier in the game. So that was they game planned with Evan Stewart. They game planned with Chris Marshall and 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 Denver Harris on defense. And so it that was a huge call to make. And the offense kind of looked like they needed they game that they game planned having those guys. Um, I did also appreciate that he made them go through pregame warmups. <laughs> like they were all they were all out there doing warmups with the wide receivers, fully suited out. They were just in the back of the line. So I was like. That's some petty stuff right there because, you know, any coach could have been like, you're not going to the game. It's like, no, you're going to do all this and then you're not going to play. So that's great. Well, he wasn't going to um, let him go party again. I was about to yeah. say, that's, a good, that's a good point. That's a good... <laughs> He's like, I'll, I'll let you know, play here. You're going to be, you're going to be in the stands. You're going to be out like, you know, whatever their version of sixth street is. I, I don't know right. too much about college station, uh, but uh, yeah, anyway. I think he wanted them. You know, it's like when your kid's messing up, it's like, you're going to come stand next to me, you know, like, I'll, <laughs> yeah. hold, hold my pocket. You're right here for the rest of the day. Yep. Um, but yeah, I will say, you know, we'll talk about it later in the week. Arkansas didn't look great against Missouri state. So mm-hmm. like that, you know, obviously we were kind of after last week, we were saying, oh man, there's, there's, there's a loss. Right. And it's like, mm, maybe not, you know, maybe this is maybe, like you said, maybe we could look at last week and say, well, that was weird. App state's good. Just happens against, you know, bad, good G5 teams pull that every once in a while. And it turns out it's not going to be a gauntlet of AM schedule. Who knows? We'll see. Um, we'll preview that more in the week. But I do agree. After you make the quarterback change, all that all that noise, you need to have a win, right? Long story short. However you get it, whatever. And I mentioned how Miami was – they're a good team. They're a talented team. But similarly to AM, they they're not a fun team to watch a lot. And I think you saw that in this game because you saw, like you said, Max Johnson, 50% of his passes – um, I mean, Van Dyke also looked awful. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a bad quarterback night. And, uh, I would not be surprised if, uh, we see two different starting quarterbacks for both teams next year. So, uh, anyway, moving on to our last game of at least the t- off the top, at least a game that was interesting for 60%, 70% of the game, Texas 41, UTSA 20. Oh, sad meep. Um, that was, I will say credit to Jeff trailer for coming out. Let me, let me summarize it this way. 
this was just Texas having dudes for, you know, on a two deep and wearing out UTSA because Jeff trailer coached his ass off Mm -hmm. for so much of that game to scare the damn daylights out of Austin for a good chunk. And then eventually Bijan Robinson and Demarion Overshone and just the front seven and the offensive line. Again, it's it's one of those like Texas has a two deep of four or five stars and UTSA is a very well coached, very talented roster that's just not at that level that cannot hang for forty eight minutes. And there's nothing wrong or uh, an hour. There's nothing wrong with that. But damn, that was a fun game for the first half. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, mean, I want to say this before we go. Um, we yeah. my dad and I were on the couch last night watching that game. We had obviously turned off the Michigan State game. Uh, for obvious reasons. So we turned on the Texas UTSA. Well, what happened in the Michigan State game? Uh, sir, this is a Texas podcast. We do not need to bring up outside noise. Um, anyways, so my dad was just sitting there. He, it was the first UTSA game he had watched all season. And he was just yeah. blown away by Frank Harris. He was like, that's a young Patrick Mahomes right there making those passes. Like he's he so, just looks so, so good. good. My dad was so impressed by Frank Harris and the trio of UTSA wide receivers. But I, I wanted to throw that out there before we got started. Cause he was just in awe by, by that, by UTSA last night. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes probably throws the ball about 45 miles per hour faster than Frank Harris. But other than that, I mean, they, Frank it's, is a, it's just the way he he throws it too like on the run you know he can no, throw just, those like side like on the run like that. i just think it's a like mahomes just has an arm that like is uncomparable to like any other you know like his, yeah. his arm talent is just completely like frank it was awesome man they were up 17 7 at one point you know it's 24 to 20 utsa has the ball before that pick six like mm-hmm. i was just proud as a utsa grad to see them keep up you also, know, like, play, and finally seeing that game, right? Like, we've been yeah. wanting to see that game, right. that UTSA-Texas game for a while. Right. I mean, that's 11, 12 years in the man. I mean, as soon as UTSA started started making a football program, people started talking about, like, whoa, what would it look like when they play Texas? Like, will we get crushed? And they they hung in there, right? Like, Jeff Trailer is is incredible. Like, his game, like, on the onside kick, you know, that's – I uh, – immediately before that, I was like, they should onside this. Like, in my <laughs> head, I was like, if – I would love it if they, and sure enough, on, I was like, let's go, Jeff, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> they just don't have the beef, you know, yeah. like they just don't have the offensive line, the defensive line depth to keep up. They couldn't run the ball. You know, UTSA only averaged 3.2 yards of rush. They're pretty beat up at the running back position. Conversely, Texas, Texas rushed 8.5 yards of rush. Rajon Robinson, 20 for 183, three touchdowns. Rashawn Johnson, 11 for 81. That's kind of what we thought it was going to be, right? Like they were just right. going to hammer into UTSA until UTSA couldn't take it anymore. And, you know, that's kind of the difference between a, a top-tier P5 yeah. offensive line, defensive line recruiting, and, and a G5 team that's still trying to figure all that kind of stuff out. Um, an impressive effort for UTSA. And I think we just saw the five overtimes and the game against Army and everything kind of wear down this roadrunner team, they get a little bit of a breath next week against an FCS opponent. And then, you know, it's, it's more to, to peer to peer type competition the rest of the way. They're not going to see anything like that the rest of the time. They're not going to see a Bajon Robinson. They're not going to see an Xavier worthy. They're not going to see a DeMarvion Overshone. Uh, those guys just don't exist in conference USA. Conversely on the Texas side, man, I know nobody is going to give them much credit for beating this UTSA team by 21 points. But they outscored UTSA 34 to three after the 936 mark of the second quarter. They dominated the Roadrunners the last three quarters of that game. And that's not something when Texas is usually down 17 to seven or it's 24 20 at one point in the third quarter with the other team having the ball, that becomes at least a dogfight, right? They're either going to lose that game or that thing's going down to the absolute wire. Texas said, no, we're the better football team. We're physically more dominant. Let's go lean on these dudes. Let's take their soul and let's, let's make them quit. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what Texas did on the offensive line and on the defensive line. So hats off to Texas. To me, mm-hmm. as impressive as the one-point loss was to Bama, this was almost more impressive because to come off of that, to rebound, to start slow, and then in the middle of the game have that gear to pick up and go win a game comfortably, that's mm-hmm. something we haven't seen from the Longhorns in a long, long time. Yep. I, w- I will say, like you mentioned it, not only the fact that the swing of the game went against, especially when they scored off that onside kick, right? Uh, Frank, had, and I love that the first thing they did after that onside kick was took a shot at the end zone. Zakari Franklin catches it in double coverage. Like, again, we will brag about this wide receiver core all year, but um, 
the air out of DKR just went out, right? And you felt it just go out because they were like, oh, damn. Like, you, 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 you knew that they, obviously fans knew that UTSA was good, but they were like, they just punched us in the mouth. Like, this is, you could tell that a lot of the fans were like, this is scary. Like, is this going to happen? And it, when you're on the field, you can feel that, right? You can feel all of a sudden, if, especially after last week, the loudest stadium you've ever been around. And then all of a sudden, not even a full half into this game, the air is just out, right? And you could feel that. And the fact that they didn't be, that they weren't, that they weren't like, you know what? Oh, Jesus, like fans are done. These guys are pulling out all the stops. We can't stop them, whatever. But no, like you said, they put the foot down and said, no, 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 right? We're better. We're more talented. We're more. We have more depth. We're getting this done, and they stuck with their their plan A because Hudson Card was fine, but they didn't ask him to do a ton. They relied on that run game. Bijan, like you mentioned, they they almost had 300 total yards rushing on the ground, and I think that that was the perfect game plan. You know, um, uh, going forward, I should also mention that Quinn Ewers was doing some warmups before the game, so like he mm-hmm. could very much, well, he could very well be back very soon. Um, I saw he was doing some high steps on the side, and his arm looked, you know, he didn't look like he was in a sling. So I don't know. He, I think he was suited out even. So I think that was like maybe an emergency, you know, a third string or whatever he could have played if if need be. But um, he could be back very soon. But I think that they called this game perfectly, right? If Hudson Card isn't a hundred percent, you don't want him going out there doing crazy stuff, and the defense, when it was going back and forth, they needed a play. Frank Harris overthrew a screen and pick six the other way, and the game swung, right? A uh, four-point lead turned to an 11-point lead, and game was done. And it did not, you know, it didn't stop there. So uh, big credit to them. Both both programs, like you mentioned, UTSA, the, 11 years ago, this kind of thing wasn't conceivable. 17-7 to seven in Austin <laughs> against Texas wasn't even thought about. So I got no issue with either program. Obviously, if you're UTSA, uh, you're you're a little bummed, right? That you couldn't maintain, but that's more of a, a pride thing than like an actual like concern thing. Um, also, they lost another lineman, like one of their guards went down, so it's just like, man, what do you what do you do? You've already you're already down. You're starting left tackle. There goes your guard, like no, and right tackle. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. So, um, I think if you're Texas going into conference play now, good. You got you got yeah. the you you had a good showing against Bama. You had a very convincing win against uh, a good a group of five team, and now you can keep rolling, right? Now we can really see what this team's about, especially if, we, if Quinn Ewers comes back next week or the week after. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but I was very entertained by that game um, for a good chunk of it. So I, I want to credit both both those programs because that was about as entertaining of a, of a I don't say one-sided, but uh, ended up being a one-sided game. That's about as entertaining as you can get. All right. Moving on to our power poll. Those are the those are the headlines, because y'all, it was kind of a a dud outside of those games in a lot of respects for the state. Um, we're gonna start with this dud. Reverse power poll order. If you guys do not know, go check out the power poll every Monday. Craven will be putting up the updated one. Another week of a big shrug because <laughs> a lot of results happened, and we're trying to figure out. Who the hell is good in this state right now? Anyway, starting at the bottom, UTEP. Holy crap! Um, <clears throat> I called they it. They couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't pull the New Mexico two-step, and they lose twenty-seven ten to New Mexico, and look horrendous. <laughs> Gavin Hardison threw three picks, twenty of forty-five, two hundred ninety-nine yards. It just showed to me. I mean, I guess I'll give credit to Tyron Smith, who finished with almost 200 yards receiving. It catches 183 yards. Um, but it just shows that this offense is chuck and duck and nothing else. They got no run game. Everybody combined uh, team yards, 21 carries for 54 yards on the ground. I don't know where this program is going, man. I really don't. Yeah, I know neither of y'all play golf, but sometimes you play golf with people that can only hit their driver. You know, they get on top of a tee box and like, it doesn't matter. Like (laughs) they're just going to hit their driver, even if they put the previous five in the water. That's UTEP football, right? Like They're just dreaming of that one bomb and they may lose six balls into the trees on the way to do it, but they're going to try to keep hitting it and keep hitting it and keep hitting it. They're down 20 to three at halftime. They had seven turnovers. 
They only average 2.6 yards a carry. It's and this bad. This is a rival. This is like a it, rival. It's bad. And New Mexico is not good. This is not a good team. This is like a, a basement dweller of the Mountain West. And UTEP wasn't even close. Like you mentioned the Gavin Hardison numbers. His QBR is 30.8 on this year. That's 114 out of 127. He's got a 51.3 completion percentage on the season. Mm. And they've played New Mexico State. You know, they played New Mexico. You know, it's not like they've played great teams. North Texas isn't an incredible defensive team either. Um, right. They're just broken. They lost Breon Hayward on the on the back end or in the second level of the defense, and that front seven doesn't look the same. They can't get a pass rush. Those guys on the end just aren't getting done like what we thought they were going to. Uh, the offensive line is bad. You know, like some of this isn't on Gavin Hardison. He doesn't have any time, which is the other confusing part of this, like, vertical-only passing game is when you can't block anybody – Mm-hmm. very hard to do that you know you're just throwing with like people hitting you at all times you know like i would say out of his 45 passing attempts he was hit on 15 of them you know like it just wasn't it wasn't very good up front um and then they just don't have the weapons to save them like last year they had jacob cowing to go save them they had justin garrett to go save them and i think yeah. i was under the impression that jacob cowing was a really good g5 wide receiver not that he was like the top three wide receiver in the whole freaking country I was about to say it would be like a a day two second round draft pick, you know, like I didn't know he was that good. Like I knew he was good, but I didn't know he was like this good. I mean, he he caught the game winning touchdown for Arizona this week. Um, So they're just, they're they're a program without leadership. They're a program without an identity. I mean, I guess they do have an identity. It's just not a very good one right now. I was about to say they're not good ball deep. Um, And so, yeah, it's back to the drawing board for them. They got Boise state up next, which isn't, which isn't very good. And, you know, I was driving home from uh, College Station last night, so I went and listened to Adrian Broaddus' uh, post-game podcast for UTEP. And, and those fans, those fans are ready to, like, buy out Dana Dibble. They don't have the money to do it, right? They just gave him a two-year extension and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, like, they're calling for, like, Mike Price's return to, like, take over this program and just Ooh. write it out. And, like, you know, like, I don't – they're headed towards three wins, maybe? Like, three yeah. and nine? You know, yeah. kind of looks like a, a, a high-end win total for them. And, you know, they came into the year with six, seven win, you know, hope to get it back to a bowl game. And, and now there's just no way that's happening. I, I, I'm i kind of with them, not, not in the Dana Dimmel, you know, buyout thing, but I'm kind of with them in the not knowing where they are right now kind of thing, right? Because this feels like the kind of season that makes you look at, what you are or what you're trying to be right you're just like okay we're it, it's always kind of weird calling them a traditional texas program because it's you know they're so far out there so they basically have to recruit louisiana or, uh, arizona and new mexico the same way as they do texas but also like is this the type of year i mean we'll see obviously it's going to play out but is this the type of year that makes you kind of reconsider how exactly you're doing things right is this like where they basically go you know what triple option Right. Like, you know, something crazy to make you a little bit more unique, consistently competitive, because that's got to be exhausting to go have a bowl win, have a power, have a have go to a bowl game and then go two wins. Right. Because that's been the program for like 15 years. Right. You have a good years. peak. Basically, yeah, exactly. Like you have a Jameel Showers, you have a Aaron Jones, and then you would get one win for the next four years. Right. And then you have a last year and then you go two or three wins. And like, I don't know. To me, that makes me look at this program and say, we need something to, and you, and again, this, I guess Dana Demo kind of was that alternative. I love, by the way, how you're just, just having, having some nice juice land on this. Yeah, I needed it, man. Hannah brought me some juice land and it's, it's life right now. Cause I am, <laughs> I am struggling. <laughs> um, but no, I, 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 I don't know. To me, this, they tried the Dana Demo thing, which is the, the kind of Bill Snyder light, right go juco get somebody who's used to kind of building a program uh in a unique way but i just think they need to like completely scrap traditional program building and go in a different way in terms of just like going triple like go go what georgia tech did with paul johnson i'm not saying go triple option exactly but run something different do something really different because if you're a fan of utep you just have to be exhausted with how many ups and downs this program has especially after you see how well it's done how well it can be just in random spurts. I don't know. We'll talk about this team a lot, but yeah. I had, so here, this is my, this is what I was thinking. Cause again, I was up till three 30 in the morning driving last night from like 1230 <laughs> to three 30, trying to get out of college station. Is the Juco route, the way that the Kansas state model 
is done, mm-hmm. is it outdated with the transfer portal? I think so. You I think don't, it's fair. The JUCO thing used to be the Band-Aid. It used to be right. where you went and got upperclassmen because you didn't yeah. have time to develop young guys. You didn't have three years to wait. You needed to inject some like experience and 21-year-olds into the starting lineup. Right. Well, now you don't have to go to Tyler JC to find a guy who may be able to do that. You can go get Northwestern's guy or right. Arizona's guy or Oklahoma's yeah. dudes or whatever. And so like, I'm curious if that Juco route, I mean, I, I know Juco is still going to be valuable, but sure, I'm sure. wondering if like, if your chips need to be in that basket or if you need to go more of like a Lane Kiffin kind of Rhett Lashley type way, if you're Dana Dimmel and go instead of the Juco route, we're going to go the transfer portal route and find real division one P five dudes who have done it at real colleges. Even if they haven't played a lot, they've been through that and they won't be surprised at what is asked at the FBS level. And so I'm, I'm curious if they'll recalibrate kind of their strategy there in the transfer market world. Um, and yep. just how it relates to how JUCO recruiting is done. Unfortunately, this will not be the last time we have this kind of conversation about UTEP because it is, like you said, it's going to be a uh, probably a painful year. By the way, you mentioned Lane Kiffin. Uh, shout out to Lane Kiffin for wearing uh, a transfer to the SIP hoodie at his press conference, just openly saying, <laughs> openly lobbying the transfer portal. I love that man so much. So uh, yeah, I agree though. Uh, that's that's the new JUCO, right? Like just yeah, come on, we'll just whatever we'll just do this and have ready-made guys ready to go all right moving on in the power poll to texas state we'll go ahead and talk about baylor too baylor is up at uh a couple of spots ahead but they played each other baylor 42 texas state 7 me and mallory were at this game as fans and similarly not in a similar way or exciting way, similarly to UTSA in Texas. This was fun for about a half Mm -hmm. Uh, Texas state long story short, Texas state couldn't execute red zone at at all. Uh, They had two or three trips came away with zero points. Um, Lane Hatcher finally looked pretty good. So, you know, sticking to the Texas state side of things, Lane Hatcher looked pretty good. Um, They couldn't run the ball really at all though. Uh, Defense looked decent, until Baylor realized they can just maul and just decided to run the ball down their throats. And that was kind of that. Um, I think the, the big switch in this game was towards the halftime. Like uh, Blake Shapin pulls a read option skirts around the right side. Tech state was really keeping them down. They were about to head into the half down seven turns out to be down 14 after the Blake Shapin run. And then Javen Banks drops a wide open pass. That would have been a touchdown next play turnover, Texas state and Baylor kind of just takes control. So Richard Reese uh, for Baylor, 19 carries 158 yards, three touchdowns, you know, Craven is that kind of what you need to see from Baylor, you know, after a, a weird sloppy first half, but in this, on this offense in particular, right. Finding a running back who can really shoulder those carries and put a game away. Do you think he's kind of somebody they need to be looking into more? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Tay, Tay McWilliams was out with injury. He got, he got hit pretty hard in that BYU game. I'd imagine that's kind of a concussion or a stinger or something like that. But yeah, for that true yeah. freshman to emerge and have that kind of gay, day, that's good. That's a, that's a confident builder uh, for the Baylor offensive line. They needed that after struggling to run the ball uh, against BYU. My, my question or my concern for Baylor remains the passing game, whether it's Blake Shapin, whether it's the wide receivers, whoever's fault it is. Like yesterday without Ben Sims, um, in there, they just they just did not have uh, any explosive pay, plays. Blake Shapin was 15 of 26 for 184 yards, one touchdown, one interception. That's not That's a great average. secondary at Texas State. You know that right. that should have been a confident building game. Like if you're gonna if you need to go out and, and develop some rhythm and find some passing attacks and find some real target, Texas State's the time to do that before you start with the Big 12 play, which is which is happening now, right? Because the Big 12 plays nine nine conference games. So this was kind of the last warm up for Baylor. I thought the running game was, was really good, obviously. They averaged 7.9 yards to carry. They had 293 yards and five touchdowns on the ground. You talked about Richard Reese. For Texas State, you know, they had seven points and seven trips inside of Baylor territory. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were able to move the ball. They just weren't able to finish. Ashton Hawkins with 13 catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. The rest of the team only caught nine catches for 72. You know, yeah. so they were able to have some, some explosive plays in the slot, but not anywhere else. Thank you for Texas State. It's fine. You know, I saw some some hand mashing going on on Twitter and stuff like that. I mean, they're they're a thirty point underdog against the mm-hmm. reigning Big Twelve champion. This is what it is. Right. You know, they got out of there healthy. I think they feel better about their quarterback position. Position. 
that that's a win for Texas State. If, if you're Baylor, you got the running game going. You think you found kind of your new guy at running back. The goal remains to build some consistency or find some targets on the outside of the wide receiver position. Yep. Did y'all see uh, BYU get absolutely destroyed by Oregon too, by an yeah. average Oregon team? Which it was is a good concerning. day. Yeah. It was a good day for the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's just kind of concerning, you know, that Baylor couldn't pull that win out against a that future conference a pr- opponent last week. So it's. I was about to say that is that is a good point. Like Oregon, they're fine, right? It's year one under yeah. Dan Lanning, but they came out and stomped BYU, and BYU was starting to like get like that could they be a play, you know a mm-hmm. dark horse playoff team and then they just put that to bed nope they're not so i know i know we're a texas state podcast uh, texas yeah. like the state of texas podcast, we are a texas state podcast, not, podcast. Not, yes, not texas state podcast don't cut that one and use that anywhere else uh we need to stop worrying about losses to georgia like in the sure. same way that like you used sure. to be able to beat get beaten by alabama 34 to nothing in week one and nobody mm-hmm. batted right. an eye it's now that's georgia you know, right. like, I think we we wrote off Bo Nix and that Oregon offense is, like, just really bad when, like, Georgia is just really incredible. Good. incredible. Now, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think Oregon's as good as they were yesterday, you know, but right. I don't think they're But they're not 49 to 3. Right. Like, Georgia's just that good. Like, they're just, yeah. they're just an incredible football team. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, moving on in the power poll, who is up next? We got, oh, my goodness. We have your North Texas mean green. All right. UNLV 58, North Texas 27. Mallory, go. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, this, I mean, I didn't really even watch the game, but yeah. scrolling through Twitter, just towards the end of the game, I mean, the last play of the drive, Austin Ali throws a pick six. That I was, mean, that was, that was like the perfect, like nail just to be like nail oh, in the coffin for this mean green team. And maybe Seth Luttrell's coaching career. I mean, it was just, I think that they, they held in there for a little bit, especially in the first half. I mean, they were only down sure. by three at the half North Texas was, right. um, they hung in a little bit, uh, in the third quarter. Um, and then Ani of course threw two interceptions late, uh, in the game and, I think that UNLV just completely controlled the line of scrimmage as well. They dominated in the trenches. They dominated the, uh, the time of possession as well. Um, they, had, they had the ball for about 38 minutes compared to 21 with North Texas. And, and I just think that UNLV just looked so much better than North Texas. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got dogs. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree. Like, I started to watch this game when I saw I saw a lot of North Texas Twitter complaining and yeah. I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Right. It was, it was one bad. of those like, it was one of those like, oh, it's that bad. Because you mentioned it. UNLV just absolutely controlled the line of scrimmage. You really saw the limits of North Texas's just like inability to do anything on offense. Like obviously right. they're 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 a good running team. But like when you get behind, you have to chase the game. And Austin Ani is just not that quarterback that you want chasing a game. And mm-hmm. you mentioned it. He ends up just like very average, very, I don't know. It was, it got to the point where mm-hmm. I felt bad, like watching that game. I do appreciate the UNLV because uh, it was on the, the Mountain West Network. Yeah. I do appreciate the UNLV broadcasters like <laughs> gassing up North Texas to be like, this is a great conference usa program well i was like i mean they had a couple good years they were really gassing them up and i think somebody some people on some north texas fans on twitter were like you would think we were like boise state or like app state or something <laughs> the best the way G5 team in the nation. <laughs> right yeah like they were gassing up north texas to be like for unlv to be doing this to a north texas program that's just like really up there i'm like man what like Here's the thing, though. I was like, I get it. You're trying to be a homer and like trying to guess yeah. up the win for UNLV, but I was like, y'all don't got to be talking about North Texas like that. No, here's the thing, though. I, I think yeah. that it kind of, to me, looked like a Power Five playing a G5 team. You know, you're hanging in there for a little bit, and then UNLV just starts to wear that North Texas team out. They're both on the G5 level. You know, they're yeah. UNLV is not a, a fan. I mean, they're 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 good. I think they're quarterbacks. They were, I was about okay, to say they uh, but I don't based think off Twitter, they were solid this year compared yes. to previous years. But yeah. But I, I just don't think that they are they're close to the being one of the best G5 teams in the nation. So I just don't think that there's any excuse for this bad of a loss and to just 
kind of self implode at the end like that. I, I don't think there's any excuse for it. And, and here, this was something that I saw on Twitter. This was, uh, since 2018, this was the, uh, was the last FBS road non-conference win for North Texas, which I believe was that Arkansas game back in 2018. So they have not won a FBS game on the road non-conference. I mean, I try, I try, I tried to tell y'all, right? Like conference USA is bad. And when they play a team from out, this is no different than like what happens yeah. in a bowl game, you know, like they're just not as good. They were able to hang out in the first half. What was concerning for me for North Texas is how bad they looked in the trip. Like usually they can run the football. Yeah. Usually right. they're pretty decent against the run. Uh, UNLV had, I mean, I think almost 600 yards of total offense. Like they were able to move the ball up and down, up and down, up and down. I thought the offense played okay, but when you allowed 7.2 yards per rush, I mean, not much you can do. You know, North Texas isn't going to be a score 40 a point offense. That's not what they're built to do. They're built to score about 27. You know, they want to win games 27 to 21. They can't give up 53 points and hope to win. Some of that's on the turnovers. Um, but again, that defensive line, that front seven has to improve a lot uh, come conference play for them to get to that six win threshold. Yeah. I think the thing that scares me about this result is does does it matter because they can still go scrap out to six wins and are we back is this the marshall game from last year right are we looking at this to be like there's no way he's back right and trust me i'm with you i think like you see the you get to these kind of insane depths of like where this program performs at times then you scrap out a bowl win or whatever then you somehow beat utsa again let's say they do that again or whatever you know and you're back to where, like, well, I guess they, yeah, I guess they can keep him, right? I just don't I, I think wonder... that should be the ceiling. Oh no, exactly. That's I think that's the difference. I think yeah. if is is Ren Baker the type of guy where it's like, well, we're not going to keep hoping that we just scrap together a miracle run and make a bowl, right? Yeah. Um, but my worry is that this, because it's non-conference, right? Because the conference USA is bad. I fear that this turns into the Marshall game, right? Now, granted, they could just bottom out and not even be good in an underperforming conference USA, and then the decisions made for themselves. But I just worry that we're looking back and be like, man, remember that Marshall game last year? And then they're in a bowl game. And it's like, well, I guess you stick with them. You know, it's it's yeah. as, as doom and gloom as it looked, and it was bad. I'm not trying to lighten it. I do wonder, non-conference, uh, whatever, put it to the side. I don't know. I'm concerned. Yeah. But They'll be six and six. They'll be six and about, six, seven and five. I was about to say, I just wonder if the decision makers are looking at it, and be like, you know what? Eh, we'll, we'll see what fine, happens. That's fine, you know. Yeah. yeah. Or they're 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 still trying to live it back in that Mason Fine era, you know, like sure. hoping that you do get that one that one player, that one dynamic player, that one quarterback that can take them back to that time. Right. But that's I mean, just was, a, that's just not always possible. What was what was North Texas before Seth Luttrell? Uh, not this? very good. Yeah. It was. I was about to say it was basically. Yeah, I was about to say it was basically this. Probably. I mean, worst recruiting, definitely. I mean, it's, at some point, you are who you are as a program. You know, like you fire Seth the trail. Who do you bring in? Like, why do you? Why does anybody mm-hmm. think that they're like all of a sudden going to bring in a coach and go nine and three, ten and two? Like, when in the history of of North Texas, other than you know, you you catch lightning in a bottle on a player or two. Does that? Does it, it's kind of like what we're talking about with UTEP. Like, I feel right. like as fans, our expectations are always to be like whatever we look at as like the standard program, you right. know, like UTEP looks at UTSA and is like, well, why UTSA has only had a program for 11 years. Why aren't we that? Right. It's like, well, cause of money, because of talent, because of proximity to like, to, there's like the, the Alamo dome. Like there's so many things. Like if you're in North Texas, you're competing with TCU and SMU within the DFW range. Mm-hmm. And then outside of DFW, you got all the big 12 schools, all the SC, everybody recruits DFW. So being in DFW is not that big of a deal, right? right. Like, I don't know if Denton is this like destination place for recruits. And so I just don't know. I think eight, nine wins is the ceiling for North Texas on a, on a year in year out basis with just getting to a bowl game being kind of like the floor. And mm-hmm. he's done that in his career. Like that's exactly what Seth Luttrell has done. I think firing Seth Luttrell or moving on from Seth Luttrell is in my opinion a little bit wishful thinking for a program that hasn't been much different like there's nothing there you can't look back and go like well it used to be like this and like we need to get back to that like Seth Luttrell is making it to where North Texas is a legitimate program and they're in a bowl game five out of the six years that he's there I mean it's not like it's been bad if they get back to six and six seven now if they 
continue playing like this and they're four and eight at the end of the year, that's a completely different conversation. But to Ish's point, if this is, if this is Marshall and they're seven and five, six and six at the end of the year and they go to a bowl game. That's what is that, I guess, defined as success for the program. And I mean, I, I think it's fine. I mean, it's not, it's not a lot of success. It's not great. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock down Latrell's door to give him a 10 year extension worth a hundred million dollars or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I think it's adequate for what, a G5 program could be. I mean, maybe that's where my expectations are. Like that's what my expectations are for UTSA, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if UTSA, uh, you know, Frank Harris graduates like Mason Fine did and UTSA becomes a six, seven, eight win program for the next three, four, five years, that's, that's who we are. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're a G5 program just trying to figure out how to get it done. Like we're not, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes uh, we kind of get too up and down on these things. And like Seth's doing a, a decent job there at Denton. They just they just lost a game on the road in the second half where they got physically dominated. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. Um, again, similar to UTEP, we're not going to stop talking about this team um, in this kind of capacity of kind of like what they are, what direction, coaching future, things like that. So uh, I just think see. you got to get to Conference USA play first. Sure. Like, let's, see, yeah. let's see what North Texas looks like in conference. Because if they look like the UTEP win – then like everything's fine and didn't. I was about to say, I will say if the difference between this year and last year is if I know Marshall's not in the the, conference US anymore, but I meant like if they have another Marshall performance, I don't think he survives that, right? If, if, If another conference USA loss happens like that, barring prop, I guess maybe, I mean, I don't know, probably even if, if you get drilled by UTSA, even though they're clearly better, I think like the, the recruiting implications, the rivalry implications of that, like if UTSA comes out and wins 45 to 10, right. I think like that's starting to be like, all right, we're falling behind our peers. Right. That's, that's the problem. So, right. And you got to remember, think, I, yeah, I was just, but, they're going to, they're, you got to remember that they're moving up next year too. Exactly. No, that's the, the thing. Like, yeah. We're, you're, you're falling so behind thinking, the programs that yeah. are supposed to be up next to you in the next conference you're going to. So I think he doesn't, this might be, put on the shelf and different, but if another Marshall like loss happens in conference, I think that's where I think the, the pendulum kind of swings on him. So we'll see moving on in the power pole to another team. We going to have to talk about some Houston, Kansas, 48 Houston, 30. That game was not as close as that final score may indicate Kansas absolutely drilled Houston on the road in a, I can't even say half full stadium because Houston could not fill up that stadium at all. Um, that was some, those are some pretty pitiful crowd shots. I'm sorry. Uh, especially for your home opener. Oh my goodness. Kansas is, first of all, let's get this out the way. We talked about this. Kansas is good, yeah. right? So this isn't Texas losing to Kansas last year. This isn't, uh, and losing to Kansas as a meme or whatever. Kansas is a legitimately good football team. Jalen Daniels is a legitimately good quarterback. I believe he leads the country right now in QBR. I think right now he actually has the highest QBR since they kept uh, track of that stat in 2010. Like legitimately fantastic. He absolutely rolled once Houston went up 14, nothing. Everybody's like, cool. Houston's back. And then Kansas just absolutely punched him in the mouth and took control of the game and did not let go. Uh, Jalen Daniels finished 14 to 23 for 158, three touchdowns, no picks. 12 carries for 123, average over a first down per carry, two touchdowns. All right, so now that we're done saying Kansas is good, why are we worried about Houston? Because I'm very worried about Houston. Yeah, I'm worried about their lines of scrimmage. Um, They allowed four sacks yesterday um, and six tackles for loss. They didn't have a sack, you know, and that's usually what Houston's good at. Usually, you know, they're sack ab or whatever. No sacks, no turnovers, only six tackles for loss for Houston. Uh, I mean, Clayton Toon led the team in running. That's all you need to know. Their leading receiver was a running back. Um, you know, the wide receiver position outside of Nathaniel Dell, the most anybody, any wide receiver other than Nathaniel Dell had receiving was 23 yards. And they just don't have any targets. They got Nathaniel Dell, running backs out of the backfield, Christian Trahan at tight end, and that's it. It's kind of amazing, actually, if you look across the state, like the dearth of like, there, there are no, there, there's a few teams that are lacking wide receiver play in the state right. of Texas, which is amazing because we're a wide receiver state because of seven on seven and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Houston's one of those teams that, you know, if you, if you double tank Dell, which is what every team is doing, you just double them out of slot. You put a, you put a nickel back on them, a safety over the top. 
and you dare them to beat you anywhere else and they can't do it. They got to dink and dunk and go on these long drives. And that's not what Houston's trying to do. They're trying to be an explosive offense. So uh, you take away uh, an explosive offense, you, you add in a little bit of a poor offensive line play that can't run the football. And then you sprinkle in a defense that's underperforming and not getting to the quarterback either. And it's a recipe for disaster for Houston because that's kind of what they build their success on. They weren't able to do it. Um, you know, maybe American play gets a little bit easy for them and they, they go on a, you know, eight, nine win run and, and kind of put this stuff behind them. But, you know, two losses in a row, Rice coming up next week, it's time to get it right for Houston because there was a lot of high hopes here. And if you're inside Houston's locker room, I think if you're Holgerson, you go to him, you're like, look, all our goals are there. You know, sure. we, we want to win the conference. That's what, that's what we're trying to do. We haven't lost a conference game yet. Let's put that in the rearview mirror. Let's go play some football. That's just easier said than done. Um, they're going to have to figure it out. They were able to do that in 2021 and turn the corner. We'll see if they can do that in 2022. Yeah. Mallory, you mentioned it before we started recording. Uh, they went up 14, nothing. So great start. We talked about slow starts. They got out to a great start. And then what happened? 28 unanswered points. 20 at 28 home. to 14 at half. And let's, let's again, the type of offense that Lance Leipold is running it is explosive just by how they execute it. It's not meant to be an explosive offense in terms of just big plays and going on 20 and nothing runs. The fact that they were able to run the ball and control the clock and absolutely grind down Doug Belk's defense with this offense for 28 unanswered points. Insane. I, I I'm with you, Craven. I think we'll talk about the offense, you know, consistently because that's you know that's Clayton Tune. You know, Tank Dell is still one of the best receivers in the country, and obviously that's where they're going to hang their hat on under under Dana Holgerson. But I'm worried about Tank Dell's deep, uh, uh, Doug Belk's defense. I really am. Like Kansas did not slow down in this game. Like I every time I looked up, they were gaining five yards. They were gaining six yards, and that was supposed to be what they hung their hat on, right? Uh, you know, obviously, Daniel Holgerson is an offensive coach, but it was like, okay, D this is like the breakout year potentially for Doug Belk as like one of the country's up-and-coming coordinators. Still think he's going to be, still think he's fine, right? His, he still is one of the top coordinators, but now it's like, all right, now you're looking at, you, you see how Texas is getting right. You see how Baylor is at the line of scrimmage. You see how Tech is. Those are your conference peers next year. Obviously, Texas, you know, whatever, they're going to see, but you get my point. Those are your conference peers. You're going to have to start punching up with those guys. And I guess for me, I don't think Dana Holgerson's job is not in jeopardy. That's not what I'm saying. The question for me as far as where Houston is, is how much better do we expect it to get than what we thought coming into this year? Right? Like this is a team under Dana Holgerson. This is a team that recruited well, top quarterback in the state, one of the top running, uh, wide receivers in the state top defense in the state heading into the year you thought breakout year no doubt about it now heading into the big 12 and obviously you'll start recruiting to that to to being in the big 12 to being in the power five but like how much better under dana holgerson or, or is this kind of my point is he hasn't done it to the level that i think that we think he's done it west virginia he was a good coach right but again west virginia is weird i don't know maybe but are they like under him, are they an eight to nine win Big 12 team? And eventually, I'm talking like eventually three, four years, five years down the line, is that does that become lackluster for somebody like Houston who thinks they have the potential to be really up there punching up, especially now in this new Big 12? Because right now, I don't see the, the pathway to them immediately competing in this new Big 12. I also think this non-conference schedule for them has just been so rough. Like, I just think it finally caught up sure. with them. I mean, I think they looked really good against Texas Tech last week. They looked really good against UTSA towards the, the second half in that game. I just think that it finally caught up with them. And I don't think that, personally, I, I don't think that this loss looks as bad as that score does. I think that they just got tired from those overtime games the past also two. Fair. Also and fair. I think I, I also think that Kansas is just really good. I, yeah. I, no, I trust me. I will be singing Jalen Daniels praise yeah. a lot. Yeah, um, I, I think because... they played Texas Tech really good last week. I, I don't think this is as bad as it as it really looks. You know, I think that I think Houston fans might be overacting a little bit. I don't know. That's sure. just kind of how I see it. But I mean, I mean, that's what happens when you have high. You know, again, right? When you have, when you have high expectations, expectations for this team, right? Right. So, so that's yeah. Good um, but yeah, so like Mike Craven said, they had Rice coming up. 
And then they have Tulane, who's 3-0, right? Their schedule gets easier, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll just keep a little pin, keep a little pin in Houston for now. We'll keep tabs on them as we go. Uh, moving on the power pole, Baylor. We mentioned them, look pretty good. Um, got some running game going that we didn't expect or that, that they were hoping to see against Texas State. TCU was off this week. They bring up the skillet. And we will talk about that game because that's going to be a massive game coming up against SMU. Speaking of SMU, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, they almost pulled it out. 34-27, losing to Maryland on the road. I think Joe Hoyt uh, from the DMN, again, the SMU beat writer, doing a great job covering them. He was he was at the game, and he his game recap was like pretty spot on. Like they. SMU is a team that we kind of had some questions about the defense and they knew that this would kind of have to be a track meet and it came back to bite them, right? They couldn't get a stop when they needed to and they lost a track meet. You know, Rasheed Rice is still one of the best wide receivers in the, in the country right now. He's playing out of his mind, nine catches on nine targets for 131. Tanner Mordecai had a couple picks. Um, he finished, he didn't have his best game, 26 of 50 for 301. But again, you get in that kind of, uh, big play uh, game against the Maryland offense. That's pretty explosive as well. And that's going to happen. And they just couldn't keep up with a pretty efficient offense, right? Roman Hemby finished 17 carries for 156 on the ground for Maryland. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa had over 200 yards passing. So I don't know. I'm not too concerned about this loss, in my opinion. Um, this is just one of those where it's like, hey, you, you lose these games when you kind of have a suspect defense at times and you come up against an offense that can kind of match you for firepower. I honestly thought it was the offense that let SMU down. I mean, they only allowed 34 points. 14 of those were in the, the fourth quarter. So, you know, Maryland only, only scored 20 points through three quarters. SMU mm -hmm. didn't score after 642 left in the third quarter. So they were shut mm -hmm. out for the last 21 and a half minutes of, of gameplay. Mordecai with three turnovers. He had two interceptions and a fumble. They only ran the ball. <clears throat> they only averaged 3.6 yards of rush. Uh, that hurt them on fourth down. They, they weren't able to convert a couple fourth downs because it, <clears throat> sorry, it just became, you know, pass or nothing. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're SMU, you're going to lose a lot of games if you score 27 points. This is going to have to be an offense that scores over 30 points a game in order to get you a win. I, I think Rhett Lashley's offense has kind of sputtered a little bit. The running game wasn't what it's been the first couple of weeks. And that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback position. Your Rasheed Rice is a dude. I think we've mm -hmm. all established that. Now they got to go find a couple other complementary weapons to spread the ball around and give Mordecai, Mordecai some some separate targets because uh, he was forcing the ball a few times in there and that led to led to some turnovers in the second half that cost them a lot. Yeah, Jake Bailey finished with four for forty two again. It was his first game, I believe, his first game back. Right, so you know, hopefully he's that guy for them. Um, RJ Maryland had a big game, freshman at tight end. So, you know, if if those guys, those type of complementary pieces can emerge, then, you know, maybe we're talking about a different, more depthful um, SMU offense in addition to that run game. So, and they need so, a big play, they need a big play running back. You know, oh, like yeah, last year they had Ulysses Bentley that was able to kind of do that. Like Trey Sigurds is fine to get you four yeah. or five yards of carry or whatever, but he's not going to do anything more than that. They need sure. Kamar Wheaton to emerge. And whether it be health or just rust or what, whatever the case is there. He just has not kind of picked that ball up and ran with it in the way that his five-star status suggests that he would. Yeah. You know, it's also Moving just on. A, oh, a little disappointing nope. too. Maryland had 15 penalties for 141 yards. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. 141 free yards. The, I was about right? to say, usually you, you want to be on the right side of that outcome. Right. And we, I know we talked about it a little bit, but, you know, Maryland was being mistake prone, but like, I just thought that SMU would, you know, be able to, to capitalize on that a little bit more, but yeah, 15 for 141. That's, that's absurd. Sure. That's discipline. That's not no discipline there. But uh, similar to Houston, you know, got a, it's all non-conference stuff. Um, and you know, we kind of uh, they got the skillet coming up, so yeah. they're gonna have a potentially big turnaround game right there, right at their hands. So we'll see how that goes. Finishing out the power poll, Mike Craven. I'm gonna give you full credit for this. You called it. Regress to the mean game. NC State 27, Texas Tech 14. Uh, I didn't think NC State had it in them. I really didn't. I yeah. thought this would be a game where Texas Tech could really show out what they're doing under Joey McGuire. I thought this would be a game that basically they can go on the road and earn a really good win against a uh, Power 5 team. 
And NC State said, nah, we're going to hold you to seven points at the half. Basically, they scored seven points in each half. That was it. Like, it wasn't that close. Like, it looks like a close game. It really wasn't. Um, it just kind of felt like a a bland, typical, like, sitting down on a game and not letting you move. Like, it's somebody just sitting on your chest, and you just cannot move them off. And it's just like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I think you could see the absence of Tyler Shuck, too, just in the sure. way the game plan and stuff. I really sure. think that you could really see that absence. Yep, we saw Bear Morton in this game. So, yeah. yeah, we did. Like, you know, he had 20 of the 54 rushing yards for Texas Tech. And that, that's the problem for me with the Red Raiders is they don't have an offensive line. They cannot establish the line of scrimmage. Yeah. The defense played okay. They only allowed 15 first downs against NC State. NC State only sure. averaged three yards a carry. The problem is Tech averaged 2.1 yards a carry. Yeah. You know, their, long, their long run was 13. Um, and so, you know, Donovan Smith, 21 of 36 for 214 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. We talked about that last week. That's just kind of what you get with Donovan Smith. He's going to throw an interception or two a game. And that, that becomes hard to overcome if you're not an explosive offense that's going to score 41, 48 points a game like we're used to a Zach Kittley offense doing. Uh, he doesn't have an accurate quarterback. Um, I don't know if he has the weapons around him that, that they need yet. And that offensive line is, it has not been very good. Uh, that running mm-hmm. game was supposed to be the strength of this offense, and it doesn't matter who you have at running back. If your offensive line can't move guys around, that's a problem. There's a reason NC State entered the year with, like, top ten expectations, and sure. one of those is their defense is super, super good, and they suffocated Texas Tech. Um, that's probably one of the better defenses NC, or Texas Tech's going to see all year, even in the Big 12. Um, we'll see how they do coming back home against Texas, but a forgettable performance. But I, I think one that was expected, you can only ride that honeymoon for so long. You, you are who you are as a football team. You can't overperform week in, week out. The more mm-hmm. Donovan Smith plays, the more tape defensive coordinators have on him, the more they're able to take away the things he does well, force him to do the things that he does not so well. That's the adjustment for Texas Tech moving forward. Yep. I remember there was one sack in particular that, um, one Donovan Smith was kind of running for his life a lot in this game. Anytime NC State sent a blitz or an extra rusher, it just looked like they hadn't. It looked like they had not schemed how to block, how to pick up a blitz. Um, and there was one in particular that it wasn't even a blitz. It was a three-man rush. I think it came in the second quarter, and it was one of those moments where if you freeze the tape. Joey McGuire is going to point at a lineman not doing anything. He's like, you go find somebody to block. Cause like, it was one of those where he had a double team on the right. So I think a couple guys were one-on-one and then there was just somebody just not blocking, just like looking for somebody. And Donovan Smith got sacked because somebody won their one-on-one battle basically. And it was like, okay, that's, yep. That's kind of what needs to happen. Um, and you mentioned the run game, but also like credit to NC state, in a Zach Kittley offense, the short passing game is the run game, and they just took that away, right? There was there were no easy short routes. It was a lot of Donovan Smith running, trying to, like, find something as before he gets to the sideline and, like, dunking it to a slot receiver over the middle and, like, somehow getting eight yards. That was basically the, quote-unquote, easy passes. So, um, But like you said, we we were very tep- tepid in our – and our hype for Texas Tech, we like Joey McGuire, obviously, but we knew what they are. We knew what they had at, the, at his disposal at this time. We'll see. Um, and now they got now they got Texas. Um, so it's going to be we're going to really see how much improved this team is, because obviously last year was an embarrassing loss to Texas. And, you know, I don't know if I'll take them in that game, but if they just come out and look a lot better than they did last year, it's not hard to do. You're probably still on the right on the right track because you got, oh, geez, Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and then West Virginia, like, you know. Not an easy, not the easiest start to the to the Big Twelve schedule for enjoying McGuire. Yeah, it's uh, um, it's an important four game stretch for Texas Tech. It's going to determine a lot of what their season is over the next month. Oh yeah, easily. All righty, that is the power poll. It will be different by the time if you're listening to this on Monday. It'll be different. Mike Craven will have adjusted it based off whatever the hell he decides. Because again, another week of. <laughs> teams just having results all over the place yeah let me pose this who's the best team in the state uh, who deserves to be on top of the power pole tcu i think the answer is i think the answer is texas the, the answer is texas i was about to say i think it's texas which is weird but like i mean how much like money how much money would you have bet that texas would not be number one in the power pole after week three of the 2022 season 
Because I think it's every dollar that I've ever seen in my life, not even the <laughs> amount of money I own in my life, just every, all the money that I know exists. I will bet you Texas is not on top of the power pole after week three. And right. I don't, I don't know who else. I mean, yeah, TCU's is still undefeated. Uh, I mean, <laughs> and they were off this week. You know, they already have, that's mm-hmm. such a weird bye week by the way. But I, I just, yeah, it's just a weird, it's a weird year this year. It's, yeah. it's going to be a, a pretty mediocre uh, year in terms of finishes for te- for the state of Texas. I don't, I don't know if a single conference champion emerges from the state this year. Maybe UTSA because Conference USA is that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but none of these teams. Houston doesn't look like a a, a a contender in the American. Baylor doesn't look like a contender contender in the Big Twelve. I think Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are clearly the favorite there. Um, right. You know, Texas State's not a contender in the Sun Belt. So. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, A&M's down. You know, I mean, they beat Miami. You know, maybe Miami. I, I don't know. They lost to App State 17-14, to 14, but, like, A&M's mm-hmm. right there as well. So, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, now that you all mentioned the power pole and me redoing it, now I'm starting to think, and it's like, man, there's not an easy, like, oh, well, he's there's number one. I think UTEP is 12. Yep. That, that, one's, that one's easy to decipher. <laughs> Texas is one. Right. Two through 11, though, can get – you know, just kind of dealer's choice, whatever you think is important, whatever you don't think is important kind of dictates how you would rank those things. It, it all becomes arbitrary really quickly. Yep. And now we get to start going into conference play next week. We'll be back on Wednesday. You remember you can watch us live Tuesday or sorry, Wednesday at two. Um, and yeah, we'll be previewing a bunch of pretty cool games coming up. Like I mentioned, conference play. We got the Iron Skillet, which is where Mike and Mallory will be next week, if I'm not mistaken. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, we'll be previewing that and a bunch of other stuff. Jesus Christ, another wild weekend. I thought last week would be – it's like, okay, that was weird. That was, But we're going to shove that to the side, and then just more weird stuff happens. A lot of, like, soul-searching as far as programs go. Yeah. So I didn't expect that to happen a couple weeks into September, but here we are. So we will we be got back. Some good, we got some good games in week four. You know, Texas yeah. at Texas Tech, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Baylor, oh, yeah. Baylor at Iowa State, um, TCU, SMU. So a uh, pretty good slate of games. Yep, there we go. So like I said, you can like, follow, retweet, all that stuff. Rate us, review on Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. I mentioned the preview show on Wednesday, live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, textfootball.com, all that stuff. So please join us then, and we will talk to you guys with another recap episode. Remember, we have interviewed 12 of the 13 future FBS head coaches. Shout out Sam Houston State. Jimbo Fisher, congrats on the win. Congrats on maintaining your culture with your program. Give us a call. Go Rutgers. 3-0, and baby. Let's They're undefeated. Go.